Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. I think that Christmas is uh, is it's the it's the best, right? It's the but it's not for everybody because they don't really fully embrace. Some people don't fully embrace what Jesus came to do. And a lot of Christians don't realize what Jesus came to do. And I'm here to tell you what Jesus came to do is to give you freedom. And today I want to talk to you about freedom and rest for your soul, freedom and rest for your soul. And see, here's the thing that the Bible says that Jesus in um, Matthew 11, 29, it says that Jesus brings rest to our soul. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. There's a freedom and there's a rest that many Christians are not experiencing. Many people are stressed, not they're not in rest but they're stressed. They're not at peace, but they're stressed out. We're stressed out over our mistakes. We're stressed out over our finances. We're stressed out over conflict at home, a conflict in our family, a conflict in our life. And Jesus says, I want to give you rest for your souls. I want your soul to find rest, because as the soul goes, so the rest of our lives go. The Bible says that um, that I beloved in third John verse two, I believe he says, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. In other words, every other area of your life is going to prosper in accordance or in alignment with your soul. If your soul is prospering, all the other areas of your life are going to catch up to the prosperity of your soul. If your soul is withering, if your soul is weary, then all the other areas of your life are going to be weary. So our soul and our bodies, they're very connected that what happens in our mind and what happens in our soul is going to affect and impact our physical world, our physical lives, our personal relationships and so much other so many other things are the result of our soul's condition. And so Jesus wants to give us rest for our soul. He wants to give us freedom in our soul. And the first way that he does that, the 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 way that God goes about bringing us freedom and bringing us rest is by Jesus coming to this earth, not just to save us, from our sins. Yes, he does a marvelous job at saving us from our sins. But Jesus comes to erase. Listen, if you understand this about Christmas, you're never you'll never be the same. Jesus comes to this earth to erase the misconceptions that we have about God. He comes to this earth to erase our distorted views of God, because it is a distorted view of God that is the problem in the world today. The number one problem in the world today and any day is people that have a distorted view of God. So you think about it for a moment. If you have a view of God who's mean and mad and harsh and ready to punish all disobedience, then you'll constantly live in fear. But thank God that in first John chapter four, the Bible says there is no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. Jesus comes to this earth to demonstrate God's perfect love for us. You see, we all have these ideas of God. Man's view of God is harsh. Man's view of God is he's a punisher. Man's view of God as a judge. Man's view of God as acts 
of God. You see, when there's great tragedies like floods or tornadoes or hurricanes, insurance companies will describe those things as acts of God. What kind of God would give a hurricane to this earth? What kind of God would bring a tornado? What kind of he doesn't bring that stuff? Not since Jesus came to the earth. Jesus comes to reveal to us how God really feels about us, what God really thinks about us and what God wants to do in our lives. So Jesus comes and what does he do? He goes about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. So Jesus comes to bring us good. He comes to show us what God's really like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. They said, show us the father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So what's the father like? The father is like Jesus and Jesus is like the father. And what did Jesus do everywhere he went? He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. He made people. He set people free from guilt and condemnation. He raised the dead. This is what God is like. And Jesus came to erase every distorted view of God that is causing people to not want to know him. You see, if you really knew what he was like, you do, you would do anything to get to know him. He's the he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting father. He's the forgiver of our sins, the redeemer of our soul, the deliverer from the curse, the, the, the one who brings us home to heaven one day. This is the God that we get to know. This is the God that we get to call Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We get to call on this good God who goes about doing good all the time. His goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives without, the Bible says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us freely give us all things. He said, you fathers, if your son, if your child asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake instead of a fish. If he asks for an egg, you wouldn't give him a scorpion instead of an egg. And he said, how much more will your heavenly father give what is good? How much more will your heavenly father give what is good? See, Jesus came to erase the misconceptions people had of an angry God, an angry God a God of wrath, a God of fear, a God who punishes. He took all of his holiness and all of his justice and he took all of his wrath and he poured it on Jesus so that it would never touch you. He poured it on Jesus so he could pass over you. Judgment would pass over you. Condemnation passes over us. Guilt and shame pass over us. Sickness and disease pass over us. Living a life of bondage and oppression passes over us if we would just embrace the Lamb of God. You see, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter one, what caused the children of Israel to fall in the wilderness? You see, God told the children of Israel who were in bondage to Egypt for 400 years, he told them, now I'm going to set you free and Moses is going to come and he's going to deliver you from the land of Egypt. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Right. And the Pharaoh said no. And and all these curses came upon all these plagues came upon Egypt because they wouldn't let go of God's people. And God knows how to protect his own. Amen. And so and so all these plagues came and and God said, now put blood, put the blood of a lamb over your doorposts. And when the plague of death comes, it will pass over your houses when you put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. And so they 
those that put the blood over the, of the lamb over the, the blood of a lamb over their doorposts, the plague of death passed over them and they left Egypt that night. And as they left Egypt that night, God led them into the wilderness so that he could get them into the promised land. And while they were and all the miracles that God did, the soldiers of Egypt were drowned in the Red Sea while the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea. The Red Sea opened and the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea. And yet, though they had seen miracle after miracle, though they had seen sign and wonder after sign and wonder, they come to a place in Deuteronomy chapter one. And look at what it says when they when God told them to go into the promised land. It says in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse twenty six, yet you were not willing to go up. God says about the children of Israel, you were not willing to go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You know, when it says you were not willing to go up, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians are like that. We're not willing to go up. We're not willing to go up. God wants to take you up. And you see, every time you every time you honor God, every time you trust God, you go up. And every time you resist and rebel against God, against his word, against his his goodness and his grace that he wants to pour in your life and his promises. See where they're going is they're going to the promised land. They're not going to an unpromised land. They're going to the promised land. They're not going to a you got to work to get it to get to make it happen land. They're going into a land of promise where God said you're going to you're going to go to a land of milk and honey and you're going to go to a land where there's an abundance of everything. And I'm taking you to a land that that will blow your mind. And yeah, you're you're in the wilderness sometimes to get through the wilderness to the promised land. But he said, just trust me in the wilderness. But instead, when we're tested and when something negative happens in our life, we 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 cop this attitude which is what the children of Israel had. They had an attitude that caused them to get a distorted view of God or their distorted view of God had them have a rebellious attitude. And it says, and you grumbled in your tents. Notice what he says in verse 27. And you grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. And because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Can you imagine having seen God take them out of Egypt, part the Red Sea, plague of death passes over them. They leave Egypt with all the Egyptians money. The Egyptians say, here, take our clothes, take our money, take our wealth. Just get out of here. We don't want any more plagues. So they leave Egypt abundantly blessed. And there's not a feeble one among them. The Bible says there was not a sick one among them. God had healed them all. God had delivered them all and God had prospered them all. And after doing that, they said, God must hate us because we're here in this wilderness and he must have brought us out of Egypt to give us to the Amorites to destroy us. What kind of God would want to destroy the children that he loves? What kind of God? Not the Bible, not the God of the Bible. He sent Jesus so sin would not destroy us. He sent Jesus so the devil would not destroy us. He sent Jesus so we wouldn't destroy ourselves. He sent Jesus to deliver us, not to destroy us. But see how they how their their temporary trial distorted their opinion and their belief of what God is like. Sometimes our temporary trial 
causes us to say, well, why is God letting this happen? Why is God doing this to me? You see how we blame start blaming everything on God because we have a wrong concept of God, because in the midst of our trial, when everything's going good, we're like, God is good. God is good. When things are going bad, we're like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why don't we give why don't we place the blame where it belongs on the devil? On our ignorance. Sometimes the blame is because we're ignorant. We don't know what the Bible says. We don't have the knowledge. We, we, we haven't found it in the scripture yet. Sometimes it's our pride. Keeping us in the wilderness, but we blame it on God. God must be God must have brought us out of the land of Egypt to destroy us here. No, he brought you out of the land of Egypt to take you into the promised land. Promise delayed is not promise denied. Just because it looks bad in the wilderness, it doesn't mean that's where you're going to end up. The Bible says, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hey, the first thing you need to do when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you need to go. Yay. <laughs> hallelujah. Hey, hallelujah. Hey. <laughs> right. We need to like when we go through a, a dry spot, a dry spell, the wilderness, the tough times. It seems like where, you know, how am I going to meet my need? How am I going to get better? How is this going to happen? I don't understand it. I don't know. Hey, that's the time to trust God, not blame God. That's the time to hunker down and, and say, no, I know the goodness of God's going to show up in my life. Oh, man, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. I, 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 I would have got weary. I would have fainted. I would have given up. But I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. Listen to me. No matter how many, no matter how many times you failed, no matter how many times I failed, the Bible doesn't limit God's goodness and mercy to my based on my success and my obedience. He is committed to goodness and mercy, following me and following you all the days of our lives. And so when it doesn't look like things are going well, we need to believe in the character of God. When it, when it, when things don't look like they're going well, we need to believe in that, that. This is the Jesus that came to reveal us, to reveal to us the father. What's he like? He comes to deliver us. He comes to set us free. Woman who condemns you. No one, Lord, neither do I condemn you. I, go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. Right. But they believed in an angry God. They believed in a God of wrath. They believed that God was punishing them. And therefore, the Bible says that most of them died in the wilderness because they did because they because of their distorted view of God. It wasn't because God wanted them to die in the wilderness. It's because they got in the wilderness and they shaped their theology. Their belief about God was changed because they gave more honor to their present condition than they did to his everlasting character of goodness and faithfulness. They allowed their present condition to carry more weight than God's everlasting kindness. And they started to doubt his faithfulness. And they started to question his goodness. And that's when they started dying in the wilderness. God wanted them to get into the promised land. But they questioned God's nature. They questioned God's intention. They question God's motive. And when Jesus comes to the earth, he erases all the preconceived notions about what God was like, and he erases all the misconceptions and he erases all the question marks. 
all the question marks about what God is like. Jesus erases them all. So what is he like? He is exactly like how Jesus behaved. Jesus never held somebody's sin against them. He always forgave them. He never made healthy people sick. He always made sick people well. He never made hungry people starve. He made hungry people filled and fed as much as they wanted. He never made anybody oppressed. He delivered the oppressed. He never cast a demon in them, but he certainly cast the demons out of them. He never condemned anyone. He never judged anyone. He never said no to anything that anybody asked of him. He never said no. He never said no. Can you heal me, Jesus? No. Kind of ran out the other day, <laughs> ran out of healing. Come lay my hands on your daughter, your daughter. Yeah, well, have you been have you seen what she's got, what she's doing on her cell phone? Have you seen, you know, what about you, Jairus? You want me to heal your daughter? But look at your life. Look at all the sin in your life. Get rid of that first and then I'll come. No, Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't do any shaming. He didn't do any shaming. Jesus, come, come lay your hands on my daughter. Here we go. Let's go. And a woman, while, while Jesus is going with Jairus, the Bible says a woman pressed through the crowd and said, if I just said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she presses through the crowd and, and she gets, gets to Jesus and she grabs the hem of his garment. She grabs the, 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 the bottom of his tassels on his, on his outfit. And immediately, this 12-year condition that she had, where she was bleeding for 12 years, immediately it stopped. And the Bible says, and Jesus felt the power leave his body. And he and he turned to the crowd and he said and he said to his disciples, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, <laughs> there's thousands of people around us. Many people have touched you. Hundreds of people have touched you. And he said, no, somebody touched me because I felt virtue leave my body. I felt the power leave my body. Somebody touched me with their faith and I touched them with my power. Amen. And the Bible says he didn't even He's trying to show us he didn't even know who it was. Hence the question, who touched me? In case you're wondering, well, didn't Jesus know who touched him? Hmm. I think when he asked the question, who touched me, that gives the answer to whether he knew who touched him. He didn't. He chose not to know because he wanted us to see that the miracle that happened in her life is because she touched him and she reached out in faith in him and the power flowed right through his temple, his body into her body and was healed. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the God who he came to reveal. That's the God who the Bible says Jesus is the exact representation and the exact image of the father so that there would be no question anymore. What's God really like? Because Jesus answered it in three years of earthly ministry. He proved to us and demonstrated to us what God is like. He's the God who heals Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who forgives. He's the God who brings peace. Jehovah Shalom. 
He's the God who is present. Jehovah Shammah. He's the God who makes you righteous and holy. Jehovah Makadesh. He is. The one who began a good work in you and he will finish it until the day of his return, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You might not be working it, but he's working it in you and it's eventually going to come out and it's eventually going to show up. Let me tell you something about Jesus that's so beautiful to me is Jesus comes to set us free. Jesus came to this earth, first of all, to erase the misconceptions of God. But Jesus also came to this earth to free us from the bondage of self salvation. It's a terminology I want you to understand. I'm not trying to be fancy with my words here, but Jesus came to free us from being enslaved to having to do something for our salvation, to have to work to be saved. He he comes to free us from our need to save ourselves because we don't have the capacity to save ourselves. And that's why it says about him in Matthew, chapter one, verse twenty one, for he will save his people from their sins. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from sin. He saves us. He delivers us. He frees us. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot free ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. But he comes to do all of that and to set us free from the oppression. The weariness comes. Listen to what where where our soul when Jesus said, I'll give you rest. Why is our soul? Why is our soul weary? Our soul is weary because we're constantly fighting guilt and our soul gets weary. We're constantly fighting condemnation and our soul gets weary. We're constantly fighting to to stay saved and our soul becomes weary. We don't have to fight for those things. Jesus fought for those things and then he gave them to us freely. The reason we become weary is because the soul needs rest because it's weary from fighting guilt. It's weary from fighting condemnation. It's weary from fighting to obtain the four things that Jesus came to free us from. And I'll give them to you right now. Jesus came to free us from four things. And by the way, the four things I'm about to mention, these are the four things that every human being lives for. Every human being is searching for. Every human being is pursuing these four things. And these are the four things that Jesus frees us. He frees us from trying to do these things ourselves. Let, let me give them to you quick and then we'll define them quickly as well. Jesus comes to free us from finding ourselves. He comes to free us from freeing ourselves. He comes to free us from filling ourselves and he comes to free us from fixing ourselves. All of man's decisions, mankind, every one of our decisions that we ever make in life is to do one of those four things. Every decision, even subconsciously, is meant to obtain one of those four things. We're either trying to find ourselves, we're trying to free ourselves, we're trying to fill ourselves or we're trying to fix ourselves. Why do people get addicted to something? They're trying to fill themselves. Why do people um, why, why do we why do we try all these self-help things? Because we're trying to fix ourselves. Why do we uh, why do we make the decisions we make? We make them. Why do we go to a 
a, an event or a conference. God, if I could just find a way to find myself, I got to find my destiny. I got to find my purpose. I got to find who I am. See, Jesus sets us free from having to find ourselves by finding us himself. The Bible says, Jesus says in Luke 19, 10, I think Luke 19, 10, he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what? When you're lost, you can't find yourself. When you're lost, you can't find yourself. When you're lost, somebody has to find you. Jesus comes to find us. He comes. It says the son of man has come to find us. What did he do? When there was a lost coin, he describes a woman searching the whole house to find the lost coin. He describes the shepherd that leaves the ninety nine sheep to find the one that's missing. And he describes the father seeking for his son to return, to find his lost son. You see, we can't find ourselves, but Jesus has found us. And I like what Ephesians 1:11 says. If you guys can put that up in the message Bible, I'll just read it to you. I don't, don't have it written here. It says in um, Ephesians 1:11 in the message translation, and I'll read it to you as soon as we get it up there. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. It is in Christ that we find out. It is in Christ that we find out. Notice he says it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ that we find ourselves. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. People try to find themselves by doing drugs. They try to find themselves by starting a career. They try to find themselves by taking a class. And there's nothing wrong with taking a class. There's nothing wrong with doing I almost said there's nothing wrong with doing drugs. But my point is, <laughs> my point is. All the things we do to find ourselves and yet the Bible tells us it's only in Christ that we find ourselves. We find out who we are and what we're living for, who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ. As soon as you discover that you're a son or daughter of God, you're in Christ. Now you know who you are. You are what he is. As he is, so are we in this world. You realize you're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed coming in, blessed going out. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. You can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You can speak to the mountain and it will move. You can prophesy to the dry bones and they'll come alive. Let me tell you how powerful you are. You are everything that Jesus is because as he is, so are we in this life. The moment you get born again, you find out who you are and you find out what you're living for. Only in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. We don't have to find ourselves by going to college. Go to college to learn something if you want. Sorry, parents. Go to college. <laughs> oh, man, I want my kid to go to college. Well, fine, that's great, but you got to find yourself in Christ first. You're never going to find yourself. You're never going to find yourself when you search for yourself. Wow, that must have been a good point. Wow, it surprised me. <laughs> it's listen. 
Only in Christ. Not in your economic status isn't going to tell you who you are. Your relationship status isn't going to tell you who you are. You can say, oh, I'm I'm finding myself in my marriage. You better find yourself in Jesus. You better know that who you are in Christ or you won't be able to even have you won't even be able to succeed in marriage. You have to be able to find out who you are in Christ or you won't be able to handle trials and temptations. You won't be able to handle the guilt and the condemnation that the devil's trying to accuse you of continually until you know who you are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So number one, he comes to free us from having to find ourselves. Number two, he comes to free us from having to free ourselves. You know, we spend so much time trying to get set free from addictions and set free from fears and set free from our anxieties, set free from sins. But if we would just if we would awaken, if we would consume the, the, the scriptures, eat of him and drink of him and be filled with him, then we would no longer need other things to try to set us free. Our freedom would be our he'll make us free. The Bible says he who knows the truth, the truth will make them free. God's truth, the word of God will bring liberty into your life. The word of God will free you when you realize who you are in Christ. You'll be free. You'll live in a sense of freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from beating yourself up. The shame of all the things that you've failed at, the shame of all the things that you feel like you're in bondage to. Let me tell you something. I stayed addicted to the things that I was addicted to until I filled up on God's word. I would get high. I would get drunk after I got saved. But then I'd go home and read my Bible as drunk as a skunk. I kid you not. I'm just smashed out of my mind. I'm like Ephesians chapter one. God loves me just the way I am. (laughs) And I'm telling you, I would go home every night drunk, smashed, blown out of my mind. And I would read the Bible and God was filling me. With his word. Because you shall know the word and the truth and it will make you free. God's word liberated me. I just kept filling myself up with God's word until it it broke the chains that I couldn't break. He frees us from having to free ourselves. He frees us, number three, from having to fill ourselves. Jesus said, don't go anywhere after his resurrection. He said, don't go anywhere until you have received power from on high, until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they walked in power. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they saw signs and wonders. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, God satisfies us with his spirit. His spirit fills us and satisfies us. And the Bible says Jesus said to the woman who came to the well, she said, I'd like to get some water there, sir. And he said, if you would have asked of me, 
I would have given you living water. And if you'd had a drink of that, you'll never thirst again. And he said, she said, where do I get this living water? He said, I'll tell you what, make you a deal. Go get your husband and come back and I'll tell you all about the living water. Oh, I don't have a husband. She said, he said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're with now isn't your husband. But go get him anyway, because I'm not here to judge. you. I'm here to fill you. And we, we get a hold of that, that Jesus did not condemn this woman for being divorced five times or whatever. I don't know how she ended up. Maybe she killed all five of them. You know, I'm ready for a new one. <laughs> and the one you're with now, he, he, he isn't even your husband. But go get him. And she goes and gets him and she tells everybody in Samaria about Jesus. She goes and becomes an evangelist because Jesus offered her living water. Wow. He fills us with living water. He fills us with his spirit. He fills us with joy. How does that happen? Filling up on his word. Asking him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And out of you flow rivers of living water and out of you flow tongues where you're speaking mysteries to God. It's a beautiful gift of God filling us with his spirit. And then Jesus comes to free us. From having to fix ourselves, you know, like like the Bible says, how can you mend a broken heart? How can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go round? Hey, hey, hey. I got a dose of the Holy Ghost too up here. <laughs> Choir is not the only ones that can sing. Hey. <laughs> the Bible says in Luke 4:18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Yes, to forgive sins, but then to heal the brokenhearted. You can't fix your broken heart, but Jesus can. It says while the clay was in the hands of the potter, it was scarred, it was marred, it was damaged. So the potter put it back on the wheel and molded it again. And when he molded it again, it became everything that he wanted it to be. You see, if you will put your life in the hands of God today, put your life in the hands of Jesus today, he will free you from having to fix yourself and he will get to fixing you by working inside of you, by his spirit and by his grace and by his word and what you can't fix yourself, he will fix broken life, broken dreams, broken families, broken bodies, broken businesses. God will fix it all. Broken hopes. God will fix them. He'll fix anything you bring to him. You bring him. Just bring him the pieces. Just bring him the pieces. He'll put them back together. You know what? If you lost some of the pieces, just bring whatever pieces that you can find. If you can't find any pieces, just bring an empty. Just bring your hands empty and say, God, I don't even have the pieces. 
He's like, ah, oh, I, I created them once. I can, I can do it again. And he'll fix you. Not to fix you. So we don't go around fixing each other. But fix you and fix me. We don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to fix each other. We just trust God and he'll fix us. Free from the pressure of having to fix ourselves. Free from the pressure of having to fill ourselves. Free from the pressure of having to free ourselves. Free from the pressure of having to find ourselves. All we have to do is receive him. And he takes care of the rest.